0: and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm really happy to have Carolina Valencia Coleman on the episode. Hi, Carolina.
1: Hello, Josh. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm really well. Thanks. It's so lovely to be finally meeting you in person on Zoom, in person. Um, Thanks so much for taking time to come and talk to me today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure.
0: So Carolina is a Colombian-Australian. She's the mother of two gorgeous little people aged 11 and 8. She's a certified aware parenting instructor with an academic background in psychology and gender. She's currently leading a cultural responsiveness training consultancy, which specializes in safeguarding the cultural and racial dignity of children. In the parenting space, Carolina is passionate about birth, caring for children, co-creating cultures where motherhood is nurtured, supported and cherished amen to that. The areas that have transformed Carolina's work have been uh, aware parenting, nonviolent communication, and the courses in miracles and family constellations. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Perhaps we could just start by you briefly sharing a bit about how you found aware parenting and incorporated it into your life and what were the things that you loved most about it when you discovered it?
1: I would love to share with you how aware parenting arrived in my life. And and I, I think that this is a very common story for a lot of parents that, you know, that things haven't worked out as you'd planned. Um, parenting is a lot harder, especially when the advice that's been shared with you doesn't feel quite right. Uh, when you don't have parental figures in your life that you can lean into to share that wisdom with you. Uh, or there's, you know, the relationships are fraught. When when there's a sense of, I I thought maybe I could wing this, but that's not going to work out, you know. And <laughs> that was the sense I had with my daughter. She was around about one, and I I I shared I sh- I've shared this this story before, but it's we would spend from the morning, so around 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 about ten a.m. And often we would be still there at 3 p.m. and I was still trying to get her to nap. Mm. And so just, you know, remembering those days, the weight of the both the exhaustion and the worry and, and the accumulation of concern, why wasn't this baby sleeping? What was I doing wrong? You know, what more could I do? Uh, and so there was a lot of, of feeding to sleep, with bottle and or breast, uh, and I remember thinking that th- this has got to be different. There's got to be another way. And you know, in a moment of of just deep sadness and and really concern, like I think for myself, I was I was worried that I wasn't cut out for this, and that I wasn't going to be. I was really worried for the future of this child. <laughs> really my concern because I thought, uh, where, where, where is this information going to come from? So in this moment of sadness, sharing this with a good friend of mine, one of my best friends, she said, have you looked into Aware Parenting? That's what we do. Uh, this is the main idea. And that very afternoon, I remember thinking, well, we're going to try this out. And um, And I listened to my daughter's feelings and she slept after that. And I went, okay. There's something's here. Hallelujah. <laughs> there's something here. I need to. I need to investigate this more. I need to understand what is the correlation here between uh, their own built-up frustration and stress, and also mine. I, I mean, at the time, I wasn't even thinking about myself. I was just very focused on the baby sleeping. So I, I'm curious. I'm, I'm conscious that, and having spent time with many parents since then, that is often one of the avenues um, that people come to Aware Parenting because every everything else has felt either too hard, unrealistic or not even possible. And of course, you know, we all know um, and we're all really we're aware of the controlled crying approaches and it's absolutely heartbreaking. Mm. Um, and so having done that kind of and not so much controlled crying because I, I really i just couldn't i couldn't do it my heart was just absolutely falling apart in those in in those attempts having tried all other kind of stimulation and movements and strollers and car rides and and things like that you realize that um your whole life is is circulating around this one nap mm. in the day mm. so where parenting really helped was well, that was the beginning point, if you like. And then, of course, the whole whole space opened up around, you know, control patterns and, um, or, you know, or maybe like I've come to learn so much about them and I have such deep respect. I mean, really mechanisms of protection, I think of them more so than that concept of the word control pattern. I think of them more as mechanisms of protection. And, and that, geez, they do It's such an important job and babies are so intelligent to be able to um, put them into place. At the same time, like all mothers, I went through that process of, I don't want to give my baby any control patterns. But yeah, over time, really softening with that approach or that belief and that idea of how they they actually work Mm -hmm. and how they work in us. Um, and so meeting them with so much respect. Uh, but yeah, obviously I can keep going. So please ask me <laughs> another question, Joss. I love that answer. Thank you so much.
0: Because yeah, parenting is is really hard, and there's a lot of loud voices in the parenting um, space, and many of which don't align with our values. And then when we are faced with that sort of noise around us and this experience of this sort of you describe it really well, this the torture of of the weight of exhaustion and worry and where we get to a space where we're wondering whether we're even cut out to be parents at all. It's it's a really mm. it's a really painful space to be in, isn't it?
1: It's it's deeply painful. And may I add a piece that not all of us have positive blueprints to actually refer back to. And I I'm I'm certainly in that boat where I I didn't feel that, you know, I I could look back at my own infancy or childhood and say I, I'd like to replicate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, one of the things that, you know, was really important for me when eventually aware parenting really um the whole, I I could see the whole panorama of that was the sense of relief that I felt that I had found a blueprint to parent uh, my my precious child where it wasn't necessarily that I was wasn't going to repeat what occurred to me, but certainly that I had a way forward um that I could trust yeah. and I could work on and I could build and up, build upon and just and I think that's that was the that was a big relief. It was a blueprint. Um, that I that was completely unfamiliar to me, and of course that brought up all kinds of recriminations from my own, you know, my own mother because she felt very, very affronted by the approach and and how to do it. And and it's so interesting. Eleven years later, now we we talk about aware parenting. We don't even name it. It just is. It is the way we parent now and and we have just great conversations about how the, you know, children need that. They need to be deeply respected in order to learn to respect. That mm-hmm. um, that is a no-brainer. You know? <laughs> and now we just laugh around the table and think, oh, you know, yeah, how do, how do children learn to to be loving and and open and respectful and and, and caring and you know how do they? Look? Oh yeah, it's because we must do that for them, and so it's such a beautiful thing to have seen to have grown together in in that. Um, but certainly, that at the beginning, that I really had to hold the torch for myself because yeah. it was very unfamiliar to everyone, including my partner.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, those early days are often quite challenging when we feel like we're aware parenting. Yeah. First of all, we're aware parenting our children, and then we realise, oh, actually we we are aware parenting ourselves too. Oh, and we're aware parenting our partner. Oh, and the dog before <laughs> <laughs> we know it, we're just really overwhelmed by all the aware parenting we're doing. That's for right, it
1: is. It can be really and it and like I yeah, my heart goes out because I know I remember those days and it was it was really hard and and having to push through, when I say push through, I mean to to stay strong to the reasoning. Why why am I choosing this? And I think some of us, I know from from my perspective, I felt um like I, I often described it as as holding a tsunami up against, you know, being the dam that holds back a tsunami. And and that was the feeling that I had that I was so um committed. That I would create a different environment for my children that I experienced, mm. and so that's where I really—that was my anchor. That's where I took my strength mm. to say, "Well, yeah, mom, I I really I really hear that that upsets you that I'm listening to their crying right now, or it, I know it's a really upsetting for you to listen to that, but this is important for this reason, and 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 continuing." having that perseverance, mm-hmm. um, that's where I anchored myself and and now, as you would know yourself, just the joys of of parenting a child who's connected to their feelings and to their autonomy, their sovereignty, and their connection to self is just it's so beautiful. It is so beautiful. Yeah. And it's hard to to describe that to someone who's got a, you know, has a baby and is just starting, that that is what you're safeguarding.
0: Mm. Oh, I love that. Yes, absolutely. And I loved as well how you renamed control patterns as, as mechanisms of protection and, and seeing the the great intelligence and the the beauty in those systems to keep us safe and to protect oh, us from yeah. our feelings. That's so important. That's right.
1: and yeah. And they're painful. They're painful to watch because, because we're not connecting to our feelings. Like we're desensitised. We've numbed. And so, yeah, like, oof. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I remember my daughter when she was about three or four. She used to go to sleep licking her hands. <laughs> she used to spend at least thirty minutes just, and oh, in me, like I was just tied up in knots. Mm. I just could. It was so intensely uncomfortable. And you know, those were the that that was the grist in the mill, if you like, of of sitting with that and connecting with a sense of how do I engage in a respectful and and know taking in that understanding that this is the way she's coping right now, and in fact, there there isn't more in me that I can give to divert this river in a different direction, and and that. That's a level of awareness that that yeah it takes practice. Because yeah. <laughs> the, the first thing that you want to do is stop that. Go to sleep. I'll hold, you know, even hold the hands. Don't do that. You know, that is the first, the first feeling. And and it, it links directly back to how our own parents would have reacted to that. You know, it's it's that over overpowering sense of that. You don't have control of your own body. They control your body. And so that's what we've learned. That is deeply conditioned into our fibers. So it takes time to rewire our brains to approach these situations differently. And I and that's one of the things that I do often repeat to parents is give yourself the grace period of rewiring your brain. Mm.
0: Yeah there's so many endless opportunities to to unpack that conditioning and to switch off that judgmental voice and instead learn slowly more and more to to sink into self-compassion in our in our parenting isn't it and then I mean not only does that keep us sane and allow us to heal but it's also modeling that beautifully to our children that switching off the judgment and and instead finding compassion
1: it's so true it comes back to you know you are still worthy of love regardless of the place you are in that continuum. And sometimes, like I often describe this rewiring to parents to say, you know, sometimes you'll watch yourself doing it. Yes. (laughs) Sometimes you might stop yourself just before and you could take, you know, take yourself to the kitchen and, and, you know, bang some plates or something. Or sometimes you might be able to, you might end up doing it but you might need to go and spend some time alone in the bedroom with with the pillow you know just having having a scream into the pillow because of the frustration of the feeling mm. um nevertheless all of those attempts are all forging a new path and a new highway and and yeah imagining that that how long does it take to create a new highway well many attempts until the original pathway or the original um Way that that you would have approached that situation is no longer um, necessary. Yeah, and that that is the process of rewiring. But one of the things that I really loved about listening and that rewiring is that when we receive compassion, um, non-judgmental attention, and loving gaze, if you like, and we're doing this rewiring, they complement each other. They really support each other because. Here you are doing the important rewiring work of trying again and trying again, and then you have someone to listen to you and offer you that um, compassion that we just named. And it reminds me of the the studies that were done on tiny chickens. I don't know if you know of this study where they looked at um, if, you know, if a tiny chicken is frightened, they freeze they actually they become paralyzed as a, as a form of protection. And so what they did was they left mirrors in front of the tiny chickens and, and the chickens would look to see if the other chickens were still not moving. But in fact, they were just seeing their image. And so they never snapped out of that paralysis. Furthermore, if the little chicken could see that other little chickens were safe, they would then come back into feeling safe and connected with the, you know, being being a little chicken as they are mm-hmm. i use this example because we need to have that sense of connection with others and and be mirrored back that it is safe to be who we are yeah and when that that's what i see the listening partner doing and being able to offer that back and saying yeah what you've just gone through is completely normal there's nothing um, wrong with you? There's nothing intrinsically wrong. You are working hard. Your efforts are valuable. You are inherently a deeply lovable person, and that is what what helps us snap out of that freeze <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> and reminds us. Oh, okay. This these are all the parts of me that I want to that I cherish, that I value. Um, that you know, connecting back to those values. That why we chose aware parenting in the first place. Uh, all of these things, I, I could and I experienced it myself. I I I was in fact trying to support my daughter to use to to stop using nappies and to start using the toilet. Toilet training, it's called. That's what it is. And you know, in the mainstream kind of way. And I was told. I remember hearing you need to have her trained at eighteen months. That is, the, that is the golden age. That was the, I remember being told that, and, you know, this is what you've got to do. And so I went about it, and it was so deeply painful for both of us. It was such a deeply pain. Because you can imagine I did it the way that I was told to do it. And this is outside an aware parenting space. I just did it how I thought, you know, this will be easy. This will be, you know, we'll do this. Six months will be done. And so I descri- you know what I was describing before, which was that that sense of um, trying, seeing yourself doing it, not even realizing you did it, but then recognizing it afterwards, having that hindsight, oh, I did it again. That was a process of reconstructing those pathways. And I realized at some point the pain that I experienced as a child to have lost the autonomy of my own body. Because I was told, I was in some clearly I was also trained in that way that there's somebody with a greater power that decides what happens, and in this case it was you know you need to do it this way this time this you know and if you don't do it and if you don't if you can't go to the toilet in the potty you know you are punished. So I remember um, going through that process of of having a listening partner every time. I wasn't able to support my daughter the way I would have liked to. And that and I and I remember the 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 rage that was inside of me it was just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I I know I didn't see my daughter. A lot of the time I couldn't actually see her. The rage was blinding. And in in return, what did that create for her was like a deep fear of me and seeing all of that i often describe that to parents when you are able to see that it that's often the most painful time mm. because you see what's happening like you have that awareness of what's happening but you haven't done you haven't started the work or you you haven't been able you know there's it's been there's been little attempts but you know the works in front of you <laughs> to rewire, to recondition, to you know, to change that instinctual um, behavior that you might have or action that you might have, and over time, with lots of listening and compassion, I was able to move through the the you know really unpack the 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 grief that sat behind the the big feelings, and. um and then, you know, many, many years later, you know that was done. we we moved through that. My daughter was able to to you know move through that as well. And my son then came to that place. And I remember my daughter saying to me, "Why are you not shouting and angry with him?" And of course, she had been observing all of it. And I said, "Oh, what you and I went through was huge." And I was learning. And I was changing, and you were teaching. And I just want to thank you for being such an amazing teacher because your brother now doesn't have to, will not experience what you went through. And she felt in that moment really valued. No, I know that there's a there's a power component in that conversation as well that you know I'm being the mother and she the child. But I also Want to stress that she really understood what it was that both of us had gone through. Mm-hmm. And that mum was going through a, a, a healing and repairing journey in order to not do that again was the gift. But yeah, it took, I know that process now that I think about it from bookend to bookend, that that is at least 10 years. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well really it's an ongoing process isn't it that, yeah, that never really yeah. ends because at every stage that our children are up new new stuff comes up for us and yeah. I think what I really got from that story was that it The importance of the acknowledgement of feelings and whether that's acknowledging our feelings or having somebody else acknowledge our feelings or whether that's acknowledging our children's feelings. I mean, that is really just the the crucial and and beautiful gift of aware parenting, isn't it? That that we get that acknowledgement and that we offer that acknowledgement and through that process, we start to to be able to, to do it for ourselves as well. And then it's not the idea that we have to do aware parenting perfectly or, you know, we have to be perfect parents. It's acknowledging that all of our pain and all of those patterns and the the tiny frozen chicken inside all of us <laughs> has the opportunity to, to do things differently once we receive mm-hmm. that more unconditional love that we then try to offer to our children too. Yeah, it's so powerful, yeah. isn't it?
1: Definitely is.
0: So one of the things that I know you're you're really passionate about is supporting parents with listening partnerships, which is a really central part of, of Aware Parenting. You have this beautiful document, which I will share in the show notes, a guide for listening partnerships. And so we've talked a bit about the importance of being heard and, and receiving unconditional love and, and being feeling understood. And I'm just wanting to ask you, little bit more about that, about undoing our conditioning, about asking for help and and normalizing Mm. this sense that we're all struggling, how we can unlearn a lot of Mm. our patterns as well around asking for help. Because I mean, so many of us didn't receive the help that we needed as as babies and children. And so it's really difficult for us to express fully how we feel as adults. And because our tears weren't welcomed and our tantrums weren't supported Often, Mm. in fact, it was worse than that. We were punished when we expressed our feelings or we were shamed for sharing emotions. So it's really difficult for people to learn that it is actually safe now to express feelings and Mm. that we're not a burden on other people when we talk about how we feel and that we actually deserve support and listening. So are you able to talk a bit about how you see people...
1: And I do, I I definitely can uh, share with you, Joss, and I love the words that you've used to describe um, that, uh, that, that question or the introduction to that question, because it, it's all within what you've just described, really. The fact that we need to look at it, first and foremost, from a cultural perspective. So that helps normalize the sense that it's not just Individual me that struggles with asking for help or or being able to reach out. That culturally there's a conditioning across the the society that yes, feelings and or you know sharing your dirty laundry with someone else it's not seen as a as a positive thing. Um, you don't want to burden anyone with your story. Um, and also what passes as listening culturally is very limited and often advice driven so those two things make for sharing with another another parent often than not if we do share because we really need to share um, we're prepared for the advice that's going to (laughs) come have you tried this have you done that I know this you know like or, or maybe if you just stop doing this or these ideas have—they're um, just, just—they're just, they're just really—they permeate all of the spaces. So, first and foremost, I think if we're wanting to do that unlearning, or we're interested in that. You know, we're—I'd kind of, like to have a listening partnership, but I don't even know where to start. Um, the first thing to recognise is we're all in the same boat. <laughs> We've all been conditioned um, to really only share with our best friend or as somebody that we're very, very close to. And even then, it's pretty touch and go if we're going to get the support or that felt sense of of what we need to be seen, to be recognized, to feel that sense of I'm still lovable. I'm still worthy of that love and respect and unconditionality. So first, I think that's that first thing that we need to understand you know we have very few pockets in in and out in our everyday where we can access this the idea of a listening partnership it's been around for a really really long time uh in fact I once met somebody in the workplace who called it co-counseling mm. and they were doing it in a different place and they've been doing it for a long time in a different space and I thought, oh, gosh, this is the same thing. It's just different words. Uh, so the idea of a listening partnership is really challenging that culture of, you know, you only share what is um, palatable or deemed okay to share. Um, you certainly don't share anything that would demonstrate that you are crumbling or falling apart uh, because that's seen as weakness. Unfortunately, in this society, and there's a little pathway there that I can see in my mind around the absolutely soul-destroying detrimental impact that that's had on um, so many generations of young men or men in general, boys in this society, where to show an emotion or to demonstrate a set of feelings in their, in their heart, they're seen as weak and, and less, less valuable Less masculine. Um, it's it, it's deeply deeply embedded and and uh, it's it's such a a tragedy ultimately because again it's you know around the, about the age of seven there's a complete disconnection with um, that internal world shown externally. It's not that the internal world stops. <laughs> nah, that stays. It's there. It's full. It just doesn't have an outlet from that point on. And like you described in you know, a, few, a few moments ago where you described, you know, we weren't often, uh, we were punished for showing feelings. Um, what happens for little boys is that they are then ridiculed from that point on for showing feelings. Um, so I would, say, I would say both sit in the same level of severity around what that does to our internal sense of self. So, coming back to okay, when I'm wanting to start a listening partnership, where do I start? I, I, like you said in the aware parenting space, I would say the listening partnership or the or the the space to have someone to to share with, I think of it as the fuel for your aware parenting journey. Mm-hmm. So I see the two things as being interconnected. In that, if you have that space to share with someone your feelings, you're moving through, um, you have a space where you are working through for yourself um, and it's hard to to be able to name everything that you're receiving in that space but one of the things that's really valuable about it is that you're not only receiving but you're giving mm-hmm. and I think that both those things are essential for that space to open up. In us, whether it's from a brain rewiring perspective or whether it's from a heart perspective, the capacity to both listen and to share in equal amounts is the fuel that opens up and creates a buffer for us when we walk into our children's spaces with our children. And and the other way I describe this is, um, you think of yourself as. Um, uh, you know, a tall glass of water, right? And and the the feelings is the water, and it's just tipping out of the glass. Yeah, when you go and spend time with your listening partner, whether it's ten minutes, whether it's five, whether it's twenty, whether it's thirty, and you give yourself each other that equal amount of listening and support, you reduce that water by a small amount. So the the glass isn't overflowing anymore. There's a there's a sense of there's a little bit of space, and when you come back to your children, oh, there's just something really interesting in children. That their, their, their intelligence is amazing, and their sensory capacity to know mm-hmm. that you are a that you are your glass isn't completely full and tipping. It's so amazing because then they turn to you and start to offer feelings. It's re- it's a really interesting symbiotic relationship that we have with our children. The moment they realise we've got a little bit of space, they then start to um, start to offer what they what needs listening in them. Mm. Um, the more listening we receive, equally the more space we have to offer for the children.
0: Yeah, Uh, that's a magical thing, isn't it? It, It's so often I've seen that when I've received support for myself around something that I'm finding challenging with my children. Just the fact that I get support for it means that my children stop doing it or it changes. And I've seen it with so many clients as well that really struggling with something. And then you receive listening and support for it. And somehow even if the children don't then have to express feelings to you, it just it just shifts in this really magical way. And so, yeah, it's so crucial. We cannot do aware parenting. We cannot be aware parents unless we're also getting, like you described so beautifully, space to, to take the overflow away from what we're holding. Yeah. So beautiful. I love how you describe that. Thank you. So can you talk a little bit about how it works? How do we talk? Mm. How do we share? How do we listen? What is the role of the, the sharer? What is the role of the listener? Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. So again, wanting to think about listening partnerships as being that real challenge to the way that listening or the ideas of empathy are mainstream in, in our spaces where we're told we're taught to listen, but really we're thinking. Right so I want to I just want to juxtapose the two ideas of when we say you know listening to a coworker or listening to a friend or you know often we're we're listening but we're still thinking and we're waiting for a pause to then speak so that's the that's how we've been how we've been conditioned and then often we want to feel like it's been a value for that person Tell us something, so we offer advice that we're being helpful. So that's another way we've been conditioned to listen. So when we come to a listening partnership, it's really it's very opposite of that. We're trying to undo so much of that conditioning, or or relearn or unlearn how we've been taught because that that's that's really not. uh, It doesn't really offer us the capacity to be seen and to be seen without filters. So filters by that, I mean it, the capacity to be seen without our masks. And so in that the mainstream listening space, we still wear quite a lot of masks because we, we still feel like we need to protect ourselves. We need to make sure that we're we're seen as, as okay. We, we're a little bit sad, but we're still okay. We're a little bit upset, but we're still strong, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So with a listening partnership, the structure is always 50-50. We give as much as we receive. So it's very, very structured in that. And, and I suggest that if when you're starting, that it is structured because you're, you are countering all of your conditioning. You're countering how you have been taught to listen. So we've got to undo that part. And over time, they can become much more deconstructed and much more relaxed. But it's important that we go through that, that unlearning process first because we want to get to those outcomes of being seen, of being felt, of really holding. That is what we want to learn to do for our children. That's why I would suggest that we that you do it structuredly first and get get the, the the feel that way. With the idea of 50-50, I really suggest for people to start with five minutes. They don't have to start with 20, they don't have to like do a big 30-minute spiel. Like start with five minutes um, and see how you feel. Because it can one of the feelings can be the fear of overexposure. And so I've sat with people in listening partnerships where they have sat in silence for 5 minutes just sitting with the fear of speaking. And for each person it's going to be in completely different like if you if your experience as a child was that you were seen and not heard then it's going to take time to be able to speak and trust that you will be heard, but not just that, that you will be accepted. And I think that's that's the bridge that we're trying to build and we have to scaffold it very, very slowly. Um, five minutes at a time, share what might feel comfortable to share in that moment um, and then commit, you know, to listening and holding. And certainly one of the things in a listening partnership in that structured way is you do not speak while the other person is sharing. You stay silent. And I remember the early days for myself when I was doing um when I was practicing, I would literally have to bite my lip to not speak. And my brain would be going, well, I know the solution to that. (laughs) And I know this, you know, and I and I'd have to like, I'd really have to drag myself back and just go, no, stay, stay, stay and listen, stay and listen. Until I was able and, and again, I stress this is practice. This is a this muscle that you're growing. This is a, a, a pathway that you're building in your brain that you will eventually come to a place where you can listen and not think. And it's just silence. And what I recognized in that time was that I could literally feel my heart growing, that space in my chest expanding because the listening had moved from my brain in that intellectual cognitive place to a place in my heart, which was so much more expansive. So, you know, over time, while we practice and we stay, you know, I often I do I do actually liken this practice to a mindfulness practice, even though that is still in the mind. What we're wanting to do is we're wanting to quiet our ourselves, quieten our nervous systems and stay in a place and provide that whole, and here's the key word, undivided attention. And that's something also that we are really unfamiliar with. If we think about our childhoods, it was probably very, very rare occasion when we received undivided attention. And here's the really tricky, sticky bit. We were often doing things that others would celebrate us for when we received that. It wasn't because you as an individual inherently need and deserve that as an inherent individual, it was because we were doing something of that they wanted us to do, that were celebrating us to do. And so we have connected undivided attention with, with labor, with having to, to do something really important in the world. But when we come back to that li- listening space, it can feel really, I need to be doing something <laughs> to receive this. And, and the reality is, no, you can just be. And, it, and be who you are and bring what you need to bring into the space. That's that's a, a little bit of an idea of the structure, but my sense is definitely start small and build up over time. There's something that happens the more time you have, because some people would go, oh, goodness, I could never speak about myself for 10 minutes. That's oh, too much. You'd be surprised. <laughs> um, another element of this is, is the, the layering or the onion that occurs. And so the more time you have without interruption, without advice, without any feeling like you have to stop. What occurs in our sharing is that it's a form of unraveling. And so it it amazes me every time I sit and listening, how much the mind can hold, how much we can hold across so, many, so much of the day or so many of, of the week of the experiences. And I liken it a little bit, you know, those shows where they help people to declutter them they take everything that's in their house and they put it on their lawn and then the people get to see everything they actually own and they go oh I don't think I want to keep that anymore and I think oh I think that's definitely gone it's used by date you know that is the process that comes from being able to be heard for 15 or 20 minutes you're able to empty everything that you're holding we've been become experts at holding so much Mm And so that opportunity is is just invaluable. Mm. And
0: often we're not even aware of all the things that we're holding. We're just survival mode, especially as parents in these nuclear families. We're just in survival mode. And so having the space and the time and the loving presence of somebody else allows us to get so much clarity about what we're holding, what still serves us, what we can get rid of, what
1: is deeply painful. And That's right. And can I just add one more thing because this links us back into advice? Here is the opportunity that presents itself, as you just described it, Joss, is the opportunity that presents itself to for us to to for our own internal intuitive intelligence to kick in. We will start to see the connections between, you know, if you go back to that image of everything on the front lawn, we will start to see the connections. And we will make the best decisions we can for ourselves. And this is when I say to people around advice is that there is no possible way that you could have the answer for another person's unique experience. Advice in and of itself comes from a place of external expert voice and Again, because of the way we were parented in that power over sense, we learned to believe that the external expert voice was the one that was right. It overrode our own intuitive or internal intelligence. And so that's why advice is, there's no space for advice in listening partnerships. You hold that back completely and it can be hard initially because we're so conditioned to think this is a useful thing, but it's not because we will always divert to that external voice as being right and us being wrong. So over time, the more we hear that voice internally, we just go, oh, well, actually, <laughs> this is really, you know, that voice is, is telling us because ex- that's connected to our heart. That is our heart telling us what we need. Mm. Um, so I, I, that's such a beautiful aspect of listening partnerships that over time that unfolds and we get to know that voice. Mm,
0: yeah, and so often um, I would start a listening partnership and um, conversation, and I would say, "Right today, I really want to talk about this. Yeah, this is really what I want to f- think about today." And so I would start talking about that, and by the end of the conversation, I'd found my way to actually what was really, <laughs> really <Yeah. laughs> causing me the most pain, or the or the most mm. conflict, or the most challenge, or whatever. And it was c- often completely different to what I started the conversation completely. with. But because yeah. I was allowed to to walk that path myself with somebody else's loving care and support and presence there. But I found my way to where I wanted to go myself. Rather yeah. than somebody else guiding me on a path that would have taken me in a different direction, so it's so crucial. It's such a such so a big true. piece, isn't it?
1: It is a huge piece. And can I just add another element there around um, the listening, because sometimes we might not have a lot in our in our own bucket for listening. And so, one of the things that that is really helpful to to democratize, if you like, that listening space, is to check in with your own generosity. So you know, if your part, if your listening partner comes in and says, "I've just had the worst day. Everything's all, like life is crumbling. Like I really need support," and they they're like, "I could you give me twenty minutes?" You know, but deep down, you know, that your generosity stops at around about ten. Then you offer ten, and and the, and I think it's really important to 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 be able to do that negotiation to say, "Well, I I'm I'm really scattered myself." Mm. Um. What 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 is really interesting is that once and, and being able to decide who goes first as well, because <laughs> sometimes you'll both find yourself in that crumbling moment. And it's like, okay, do, should we let's start with ten minutes and and you go first and then I. And what happens is because you're both sharing, you're both walking away with a sense of relief and a sense of connection. Um, but it really is important to check in. Okay, today I can do. You know, I've, I only got three hours sleep last night. Like, so it's important to not overextend ourselves either. And that, yeah, I think that's valuable.
0: Absolutely. And at the beginning of my listening partnership, the other thing that we do, although we always do half an hour, <laughs> but we always say at the beginning, how's your time? How are you feeling? How's your capacity today? Just to check yeah. in. And yeah. the other thing that I do with my beautiful listening partner too, is to say sometimes i having something coming up with me around X, Y, and Z. Mm.
1: Do you think
0: that's something that you're able to listen to today or not? Oh, that's fantastic. Because sometimes, yeah. sometimes we have really deep, deep stuff come up. Almost always my listening partner says, "Yep, yeah, that's fine. If you're, if you're ever going into a space that I'm feeling uncomfortable with, then I'll let you know. And so I think that's important too because you know we're not necessarily talking to a trained psychologist or a a counsellor or whatever we're just talking to a fellow human and and it's part of that shared humanity is what's so powerful about it but I think acknowledging that at the beginning of the conversation so it's our capacity as well as yeah
1: yeah that's super that's super important and, and very valuable what you name because it's not therapy it's really important to name that this isn't Although it, it has sometimes it feels like it can result in, in greater outcomes than, than therapy, you know, you're not that individual is not there to either solve or diagnose or provide you with any desired outcomes. Like ultimately you're both there to receive, to drink from the same cup. If the listening partner says, you know, I'm I'm not comfortable with what you're sharing, I think that would be a really interesting to reevaluate your compatibility i would say that would be my first question it's like okay you know maybe this person is is probably would be more more comfortable not taking more time Uh, you know i in terms of like maybe they need more steps and not an elevator Mm. um maybe you know that you might find another listening partner is just ready to go deep very very quickly nevertheless both partners in, in that process, I often think of it like, I know, and this is a really funny visual, but it's a very slow striptease. <laughs> <laughs> I often called it transactional trust, which is to say, until I have a felt sense of you, I can't show more of myself. And so over time, there is a process that happens where you start to. Ex- to expose a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And you know, I have listening partnerships that I've I've had for now, you know, close to a decade and I can call that person up and just hearing their voice is enough for me to just start crying. And just and and you know, ugly cry, like really just let it all out and and I can hear them on the other side I'm going, I hear you, I'm here for you. Let it all out. It's, you know, it's okay just take your time and and you know that that is that particular relationship now i i can't do that with all of my listening partners but i have quite a few and one of the things i recommend for people is try as many as possible because you're going to have different compatibilities and and or you know you might result it might result in one of those that i've just described where you can launch straight in you know, those spaces are gold because sometimes you might only have five minutes in the day, but that five minutes mm. of sharing and crying is what's going to, will make a huge difference to not just your day, but maybe your week. So. Yeah.
0: And so that's quite interesting to talk about what different listening partnerships might look like, because sometimes it's a face-to-face thing. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a telephone thing. Sometimes it's on Zoom. Sometimes it's with just one person. Sometimes people do it with more than one person in in maybe a three, a group of three. Sometimes, of course, we offer listening in in circles as a web parenting instructors, which is also really powerful.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you want to
0: say any more about?
1: Yeah. So I'd I'd like to keep it keep it fluid I, I often think that to me what you're creating is a listening web around you when we do one-on-ones um, you know I to be honest I very rarely do face-to-face listening partnerships um, because it's just not it's not feasible sometimes it's not possible I've had listening partners all around the world we can, you could do listening partnership like over phone or over voice notes yeah. or text messages. Or, you know, you can do, there's lots of different um, uh, apps now, like Marco Polo, quite, you know, Messenger does it as well. Like, there's lots of different apps where you can leave a, a voice note and know that your listening partner will get to it at bedtime yeah listen and then send back some empathy that's one thing for mums who have very tiny babies or are very time poor short um another way is just to have you know a a, a space during the week where you do catch up on zoom or or do a phone call or you can join a aware parenting mothers group. They often do listening circles as well. That's facilitated. Mm-hmm. But I know that I was part of one for for many, many, many years, and there were four of us, five of us that were consistently there. We hired a room at a neighbourhood house, and we just met every week. Uh, and that was that was so oh, it was deeply valuable at the time i you know I had lost some pregnancies and so i was really needing that physical touch and and that physical connection um of being you know literally physically held was so powerful for the healing um of that of those experiences so I would suggest for people to explore um, if they have a best friend that, you know, they're aligned in, you know, get them involved and Mm -hmm. suggest this approach. Sometimes it can be really helpful if you've already got that relationship. Otherwise, um, most listening partnerships are between strangers.
0: Yeah, yeah. And often that's it. it makes it easier doesn't it when yeah to, to share deeply and honestly and um, to say the unsayable and yeah to, to know that you're not going to bump into them in the supermarket the next day is <laughs>
1: can be quite liberating <laughs> it's, saying. it's true it's true but again i i just name that you know there's already this ethical ground that you've yeah. created because you know you don't share without having heard um and often you know that if we do share deeply that that is a, a modeling of vulnerability that people will often gravitate toward. So that's what I mean about that very slow um, undressing as- aspect of our emotions that that when we do share deeply, it kind of gives it, it gives a green light for others to share as well. Because all of us have the same universal needs um, of being seen, of being valued, of of feeling valuable And this is what a listening partnership ultimately reinforces for us and that we can then transport that same experience to our children, Mm. creates that buffering so that we've got the space to sit and listen. Our feelings don't push back because they haven't been heard. Mm. And coming, thinking about fathers as well, it can be really, really tough and I often describe this that it can be tough to see the feelings and behaviors that you would have been punished for openly embraced. It's really painful. Um, and so oftentimes it takes fathers quite a long time to come on board because remember they were their their switching off happened at a, a very young age. Um, and so that that's a whole path for them. And I in the in the guidelines, I even talk about. Yeah, you know, sometimes we want. We can even be part, listening partners to our actual life partners, and when when we can do that, it's it's brilliant because we're seeing them without all our needs or our own need filters on them, and we often we often get to see them in the in their fullness, which is absolutely brilliant. But it can also be really hard because. Um, they can also bring up lots of our own unmet needs. Every time they start naming them, well, I've got those needs too, you know. Um, So one of the things I also promote is for fathers to create listening partnerships with other fathers. Yeah,
0: really important. And I love the fact that it's, it gives to everybody when we receive that listening, because not only does it sort of nourish and support us to get clarity and to feel some spaciousness in our lives, but it also it's great practice for us to be able to offer that listening to our children and learning to listen, particularly when we've got teenagers learning to keep our mouth shut and stop the advice coming out and stop the oh, but yeah. you should be oh, but uh, that voice. Oh is, gosh, that's so, so important for the relationship with our children, teenage is, children. Yeah.
1: yeah, it is yeah. so hard. And and I I just I want to note something I saw on, on your socials, just about hearing from from one your own children about what it felt. Like to be listened and to be seen and to be prioritised, to know that their thoughts are valuable. It's exactly that. You know, we are providing a space where they feel connected, not just to us, but it promotes that connection to themselves. they need to be, they need to feel that their own internal world, their emotional world, is a place that is safe to explore, and if if we're, the way that we, most of us experienced that was it wasn't safe. We were left alone and we were left alone to cope with whatever it was that, that was feeling big in our lives at the time. And so naturally we learned to shut off those parts and never shall we enter into that space again. So so when, what we're doing is we're modeling the exact opposite to that, to the children and and they can navigate freely and and then the choices that they make oh my god like they're just <laughs> you know they're making entirely you know their, their choices are coming from a place of knowing themselves and i just to me that that is such a incredibly valuable like the the ripple effects of that is is phenomenal even just to just to try to imagine what they might be but from an intergenerational healing perspective they the the experiences that they will encounter won't result in the same amount of of pain and and um and even tragic choices as well because they're trying to get those meets met in other ways in mainstream spaces and and in society in general children start to disconnect quite and so by the time they are in preteen and, and, and teen spaces they're actually quite far away emotionally from their parents and their caregivers and so that sense of aloneness doing this alone is really embedded and so I notice that in my own daughter where often at that at that age they're laterally going really moving to look for that same support with each other and um and they're not equipped. <laughs> no and just not equipped. No. They don't, ha- you know, and so that that you can see, oh, the intensity, and my heart goes out to them because it is so like it's like a blowtorch, mm. you know. And and I get very sad when I hear people minimize the ex- the emotions and the experiences that children are going through because they are so intense. Mm. And offering that space to say, how do you need to unfold right now? like what do you need from us uh, and and herself knowing, well I'm gonna I'm gonna move through this and I gotta move through this and then there's this and then there's this person and then there's this uh, okay right let's let's we'll stay here with you. To me that's that's sending the message of you don't have to do this alone and you don't you're not punished because you're going through something big, uh, if anything, you are celebrated because you're moving through it, mm. that she gets to work through these things now and not having to do them later in her adult life. The importance, again, of respect, the importance of being seen in your wholeness without having to be more than. I'm so deeply committed to that in my heart because that is where all all of us, our children, adults, everyone around us, we're constantly looking for that reassurance. Mm. We don't have to be more than, we can just be.
0: (laughs) Just that unconditional love, isn't it? That amazing sense that we get to offer them as much as we can and when we don't have capacity to do it that's when we need to go off to our listening partner so that we come back with capacity yeah
1: oh my god it is a renewable resource yeah yeah that's that's a really important point yeah this is out there it's infinite it there's you know no one is having to do is having to give more in this space we're all we're all drinking from the same from the same cup
0: Wow. What a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much for your time. It's just amazing. And I'm just wondering before we finish off, how can people find out more about you or reach out to you? Or I know you're not doing a huge amount in the Aware Parenting space right now, but I'll put the link in for the Facebook group that you run about listening partnerships. But
1: yes, please. Yeah, I, I look, I think, you know, certainly lots of places where there's there's work. I know that Hand in Hand Parenting has a lot of resources around um, listening as well. So it's it's worth you know, that's another complementary space. I actually really love the work of um, Dr. Yeah. Larry Cohen yeah. and Playful Parenting.
0: Amazing. Uh,
1: just every time I read the stories and, the, and the, the aspects he writes, he has a newsletter as well that yeah. you can sign up to. Coming to us in terms of our Facebook group, Aware Parenting Listening Partners, we invite everyone to join because mm-hmm. the, the, the group itself functions just for that to find a listening partner um, and I'm so excited that you know in where we are now the, the group is functioning as intended that you know most parents will will post uh, the the search for a listening partner they share a little bit about who they are, their age of their children, where they live, what capacity they have to listen, to, to book a time and um, they they're getting responses straight away. Awesome from other people. Um and of course, you know, really recommend um reading Elitha Salter's books and getting a grip and getting a sense around what aware parenting is and if it's if it's the right um parenting path, but I, even then I would say listening partnerships are <laughs> probably really really helpful across the board whether they're in the workplace or whether they're in whether they're in the the parenting space, I think they're really really valuable to help us stay connected stay connected to ourselves. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know that some instructors, I'd certainly do it myself is I have, when I have clients who are looking for a listening partnership, we would match make sort of, but I think it's lovely to have it in a centralized space in that Facebook group. So yeah, I'll definitely put that link in. And just to end up with, I always ask, if you were to give yourself some advice looking back to the beginning of this process or something that you wish you'd known right at the beginning for people who are, who are starting this adventure, what would be one thing that you might offer?
1: Oh, I would lean into imperfection. I would love to be able to spend some time with young mum, me and just reassure her how much time and how many attempts are required to arrive in that that place that she's really hoping to be in that moment and to give us that sense of grace and that sense of this is a process and you're still worthy no matter where you are in the continuum moment wherever you are in the in the process of change and growth i would love to reassure her that eventually she will she will reach that place because the 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 intention and the values and all that are so so strong so probably less i would be less hard on myself that would be the, mm. <laughs> the 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 thought that i'd like to leave
0: beautiful yum yeah that's so nice mm. and that's something that we all need to hear regularly yeah, yeah. thank you so much carolina oh, it's i've my just pleasure. So enjoyed this conversation and i know it's going to be really yeah. helpful for people to to be inspired, to go and find listening partners and to explore this amazing tool from Aware Parenting that is just so transformative for us and for our children. So thank you so much for sharing.
1: And thank you for the space. I really appreciate that, Rajos.
0: Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au. And follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures.